Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 997.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Why are you talking so fast? Do we have like that much to talk about that you need to like get it all out? You know, I, I'm kind of confused. I'm staring across at you. I know. For the, do... <laughs> for the first time in, what, 14, 15 months. You might say that we were slow to adopt returning to the studio. I think uh, you're out of breath because we ran from one studio to the other. Ooh, yeah. Okay, deep breath. So so should we tell everybody that, that we, we have been out of the studio for so long that Jason and I walked into the studio <laughs> together. He walked into the rotating door the wrong the way. Wrong way <laughs> And then I pressed the wrong floor for where our studio is. And we both stood there and looked at each other. And we were like, oh, okay, we're doing well. <laughs> Good to see we're back. So it, it, we may be just talking to ourselves for all we know. We could be. Uh, it's like to think we're on the air. We are on Zoom still. That was something we started when we were out of the studio. Still have it on uh, the Zoom if you want to watch the video of this nonsense that we do together each week. Uh, Jeff will have lots to talk about. Keith Pompey at 4.05 approximately for some basketball talk. Lots with the Sixers. Uh, your panic level with Embiid's injury. We'll get to all that. JP Delacamera at 420 to talk some soccer. We've got Union, men's national team. Got Phillies to talk about. Since we are back in studio, I will give you the choice. Where are we starting this week? Phillies. Oh, I hear thunder. So, so, so we may not be on that long, <laughs> I wonder huh? if the game gets in tonight with oh, the storm. So There's such Mike. a good pitching. Yeah, our Hope, board op hopefully is, he got his tailgating in before, yeah. b- before the storm our, comes. Our, our board op is celebrating a birthday uh, <laughs> in the parking lot if he's still standing at this point. And, uh, you know, he's supposed to be going to the game. So yeah, we'll see he if that may happens. not notice it's raining. But there is a good potential pitching matchup tonight with Zach Wheeler and yeah. Max Scherzer. Uh, that's you're a you're a pitching yeah, guy. I do like that's well that, well not the pitching that's going on lately, but yeah, I'm a pitching guy. And and you love to see that kind of stuff. And so, uh, how excited are you to to watch that game? As long as those two aren't cheating, I'm excited to watch the game. But I don't know whether they're cheating or not. Oh oh, you're on the substance. Cheating. Well, look, if I was going to complain about the hitters, why wouldn't I complain about the pitchers? It apparently is going on. I mean, like, there's why no is this news to people? It's been going on forever. People have been throwing out the game for pine tour on their hats since before I was born, Jeff. Like, this is not news. Well, well my favorite was the one where, where the guy they went out and all of a sudden he put tried to put in his pocket the sandpaper and <laughs> just kind of <laughs> fell out and went in the air. Nothing, nothing to see here. Yeah. Are, are, do you think it's legitimate that they bring this up now? Yes. You do. Why not? You do. Okay. So you don't think it's it's them kind of. Putting the screws to Who, people. Wait, who's them? Major League Baseball because hitting is struggling so much. So now it's let's go after the pitchers on something that we've known is something that, you know, okay. You So you think that just like the when the steroid happened, that Herod steroid era happened. See that? This studio thing can't getting to me too. Right, right now. That you think they let that go. Now you're thinking that they let the pitching go until it was convenient for them? Yes. I think that this what is would, not, and be, I'm not saying, be by the, the way, benefit they've I'm, always favored I'm offense. not saying it's the wrong thing to mm-hmm. crack down on the substance abuse uh, in terms of substances on the ball to, right. to assess, not, <laughs> As the opposed other, doing the body. not the other yeah. substance abuse. Right. But what I'm saying is I find wrong the timing um, suspicious because Why? this is not something new. We have known that pitchers do this for a really, yeah, really, really no, long time. No, but this is apparently getting out of control. Apparently, they're just now they've upped their substances. Substances to see. I really can't talk. That's it. I'm going home. 
Well, I got Keith on the line. If yeah. you want me to just let you Already? go, you can't talk on the Wait, show. Wait, he's early? He is early. Would you wow. like to? Wow, look at that. People People went to pit. Usually you're not early. Would you like to go to him? Yeah, I can't yeah, find the ahead. mouse in the studio to put him up live so the board up does it. Keith, we haven't been in studio in like a year and a half, and I can't find anything. I, I'm, I'm struggling here. Uh, how you doing, man? You doing well? You, you I, t- tell me your excitement level now that the Sixers closed out the Wizards. I can hear it in your voice. <laughs> oh, oh, nah, nah. I was, I was uh, listening in on the on the Zoom call too, so that's what it was. Oh, okay. nah, nah. Yeah, you, you nah, were watching. I mean, hey, you were watching the substance abuse one. discussion. <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. So what's up, what's up fellas? I, I just know that he said pit guys come early. And we always uh, come early, and we, we we finish last. You know, we do a thorough. No, job. I kind of said the other way, but if you want to go there, I guess so. I didn't realize what I was walking to on today's show. <laughs> Keith, the, the Sixers. No, no, listen, Michigan guys. Hey, they hey, show up early, hey, ride, we, ride, 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 and then they get ejected. Don't worry, Keith. Our our board op today, Matt decided that he would put up a Michigan Sox sign, but against the glass. Wait a second, before Keith, Jeff did you arrange for it. that? Because we literally walked into the studio, and there was a big sign on the window that's that. <laughs> said Michigan sucks. <laughs> it was a greeting for Jeff. Yeah. Welcome back. Keith, tell me what we uh, saw this week. Uh, panic level was high after the Embiid injury. Sixers end up closing it out at home. Uh, where are we now with this team as they advance to the second round? You know, in regards to, I guess, the panic level has sort of subsided. You know, you, you look at it and you see Joel Embiid, and, and people want to know if Joel's going to come back. You know, Ben Simmons had a better game, so the people who were ready to trade Ben Simmons or or cut him or whatever, you know, they're all now saying what a great player he is. So, you know, it, it's one of those things now that everyone's already talking about. Let's go on and let's let's play Brooklyn. Um, you know, for the most part, but I I, I kind of think that. You know, they're, they're going to be in for a little tough battle with the Hawks. So, Keith, we talked last week about how they were the players are rallying around Ben Simmons. In my mind, over the last week, they've gone a little too overboard on this. What is going on and what, what have you heard about Doc Rivers' comments about he's okay with the hack of Ben because they're getting one point per possession? You know, here's the thing. Like when it comes down to that, it, it, it's, it's you know I, I look at it as there's a coach. He knows that his player needs to work on certain things. He knows that the media is going to come down on him. He knows that the fan base is coming down on him. And I look, I took it as if you know he was just protecting his player. Now, again, people are going to say analytically that's horrible, right? But I feel like he was just talking trying to, um, to take up for his uh, player by any means. And if you know, it was one of those things where he had a bad game, talking about Ben Simmons, and it was also like we've been talking about this since October uh, the 2nd, the day that Doc Rivers was introduced as the coach of the Sixers. So I think that there might have been, you know, it's a loss. There's some frustration level questions, and I'm going to do anything I can to let my player know that I have his back. You're right. I think that's what it was. We, we have been talking about this. You've been on this show talking about this since the season started and also the concern about what happens if Dwight Howard and Ben have to be on the court at the same time at the end of the game. 
And I totally agree with you that the coach is doing the right thing, although the way he said it, I think, opened himself up to more criticism. The real question is, what are they going to do? Not what Doc Rivers is going to say after a game, but is Doc going to, to double down and keep Ben on It's a close game. He has to. I mean, he absolutely has to. Unless, like, if you're in game, if you're, if you're like, about to be eliminated and they're doing that hack and stuff, then you're looking at it like, well, maybe I, I'm going to have to do something else. I mean, you know, I, I think that right now is you have to help this guy with his confidence. You have to tell him, like, yo, it's up to you to get in the gym, do what you have to do, and you have to correct it because it's going to happen. And, you know, I, you know, I can't keep taking up for you and, and, and speaking in your behalf, but you have to continue to do what you're doing um, to, to get better. you got to work hard. you got to get better. But my thing is, uh, when you look at it, you know, Doc Rivers has been so invested in this guy that if he does take him out, and it will look as if that everyone would know what he was just saying what he had to say. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So he has to stick with him. But, again, if it's elimination game, and I'm talking about I'm about to be eliminated, and that team goes to the hack of Ben, or if the championship is on the line, I think that's one of those things, well, all things are out the window at that point, and you just have a long conversation with them, you know, while you guys are drinking your celebratory champagne. So tell me, where does the team stand now? I mean, there were different storylines. There was the Ben foul shooting storyline. There was the Embiid injury storyline. There was also Tobias sort of taking over in some of these games, playing really well. There was the emergence of Maxi and the play of Thibault at times. What's the biggest takeaway from this first series that you think propels them towards the second series before we talk about what Embiid is or isn't? Uh, I think you can't. It, it it is Embiid. It has to be. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it, it has to be. The, the big storyline is, you know, what is who are the Sixers with him? Who are them without him? You know, um, because, uh, you know, when he was healthy, you know, Scott Brooks was talking about he reminds me of Olajuwon, you know, and then, you know, Doc Rivers doubles down and says, yes, he's doing things like Olajuwon, and, but he, he also reminds me of Patrick Ewing. You know, and, and Kevin McHale with his footwork. So, you know, the storyline, that is and be Like, yes, this team is a dominant team with them. They're on all cylinders. And then when we saw game four and you saw how everything fell apart, like they just looked discombobulated. And, and you see that and you're like, whoa, whoa. Now, again, they were able to bounce back. But the storyline is without MB, this team can't win a championship. You know it. They just can't win a championship. So to me, that's the number one storyline right now. Well, so we're less than 48 hours away from game one of the second round. Is Embiid going to be available and play in the the second round and game one? And is he going to be able to play like Embiid? I mean, mean, he he clearly has an injury there. I think he – see, here's the deal. Like, if, if if I didn't go to the game and if – well, let's put it this way. If Embiid didn't come out from pregame of game five and participate in the workout, I would have said I doubt it. But what I saw that day in that pregame, I would be shocked if he doesn't play. 
And what I saw was a guy who was getting to his spot. I mean, it, it wasn't just shooting the ball. He was, like, going through drills. Like, he was doing lateral movement, you know, um, dribbling drills. He was, like, doing step-back jumpers, hitting threes. He did it all, and he looked good. Now, the thing is, this is the tricky thing that, you know, it's easy to say, okay, he's going to play, right? But basically, you know, he participated in practice today. He didn't do any live stuff. He did some shooting. He did a lot of did a lot of other things, right? But he didn't participate in the live drills. Um, now the deal is, what's his knee going to be like tomorrow? Is there going to be any swelling in the knee? You know what I mean? Or is there going to be any? And after tomorrow, whatever he does, when he wakes up in the morning, is there going to be any swelling? You know, the fact that he's out there doing certain things. You know, and Doc said he did a lot. Now, again, he didn't do the live stuff. I mean, that leads me to believe that, you know, they're very hopeful that he is going to play on Sunday, that he's going to be out there. It's just, to me, it's just a matter of what is his lay, his knee going to be like the next morning. Because when I first, first heard about the meniscus tear, you know, even though they say slight, you know, whatever it is, it's still a meniscus tear. You know, I was I didn't expect to see him doing a workout for 20 minutes before the game. Well, and so I didn't expect to see him doing the workout, but everything I've, I've read about it, and look, I'm far from a medical expert. I can barely put on a Band-Aid without hurting myself again. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like it, the rest will not necessarily make it better. It's his pain tolerance, the swelling, and the potential for further injury. So is the, who's going to make this decision about whether he plays? Is it on... Embiid to decide? Is it the doctors? Is it the team? A collaboration? Who's, whose call is this? Yeah, if Yeah, here's the deal. Like, I, I think that when you have a guy and they say it's day-to-day rest, the intention is for him to play. They all came to that because it's not, you know, you would get it removed or you would get it repaired, right? And, you know, re- those things take longer. Ultimately, I think that the, the doctor's going to um, make a suggestion but a lot of times when it comes down to Embiid, ultimately this decision is his, unless it's something like, whoa, dude, you know, your leg's about to fall off. You don't want to do that, right? But for the most part, it's typically his decision. Um, again, after seeing what I saw, you know, I expect him to play, unless, like we said, there's going to be some swelling. I mean, after seeing what I saw, I expect him to play. And if he doesn't play, I would assume, like, you know, maybe they decided against it because it could have been some swellness, it could have been some soreness or whatever. But after what I saw, I mean, I expect him to play. You know, for a long time I've thought that you should be on the other side of that that desk as the coach or a scout. And so my next question to you is a scouting question. You always seem to know the right matchup. Who who of the non-stars – is going to be the most important player in this round versus this team, the Hawks. Now, when we talk about nine stars, are we talking about, like, Matisse and, and all those guys? That's what you're talking about? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say it's going to be Matisse Seibel because, you know, Matisse Seibel is a, a, a good defender, a, actually a great defender, but he, his defense is really unorthodox. Like, Matisse is the type of guy who likes trailing people. He'll trail a guy, and then all of a sudden he'll block their shot. Well, Trey Young, like Joel Embiid has a patented move where he swings his, he swings his arms down, right? 
and then guys are complaining about that. Well, what Trey Young does is he blows by people, and then he stops, and they run right into the back of him, and that's how he gets to the foul line. Well, trailing people is Matisse's strength. That's what he does a lot. So to me, if he's covering Trey, which I expect him to do at certain times through the game, course of the game, he has to be 100% careful. And then not only Trey, they got this guy Bogdan Badanovich, who is a sniper. And, you know, he didn't play in any of the three games against the Sixers this season, but he's a heck of a shooter. And so, you know, you're going to need Matisse out there to to basically guard one of them while Ben or someone else is guarding the other. So to me, Matisse has an extremely vital role in this game because of the defensive end. They're going to need his length. They're going to need his, uh, his, his shot uh, blocking ability. But at the same time, he can't run up on the back of uh, Trey Young because he's going to basically foul out doing that. All right. How many games? Who wins the series? How many games? You know, I believe it's going to be um, the Sixers winning in six. I do. I think it's going to be six. You know, I mean, they could sweep them. They could do whatever. But, again, we're talking about Joel, right? Like, although I said I think that he'll play, you know, they get, they're going to play on Sunday, then they're going to play on Tuesday. <laughs> I mean, that's a quick turnaround, right? I would be, I, I would have been a little bit more, um, how do you say, a, li- a little bit more optimistic if it was like, you know, Monday and Wednesday, but it's Monday, Tuesday. I think that Atlanta is better than what people are giving them credit for. And I see the Sixers pulling it out in six. All right, I got my last question. What do you expect to see out of the Nets Bucks series? And I've seen you say, you know, you're not sure how the Sixers fare against the Nets. I've told Jeff I'm more concerned about the Bucks as a matchup. Uh, what do you think about those two? Say it again. We- the Bucks in the matchup. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, you know what? It, that that's going to be straight Game Seven. But I, you know, I keep going back and forth on that one, right? And and I keep saying, oh, it's going to be Milwaukee. Then I'm saying, oh, it's going to be uh, Brooklyn. I think it's Brooklyn. I mean, I know Milwaukee has guards who can guard the big three. I know that Milwaukee has, you know, Bobby Portis, who I think is the baddest player in the league as in regards to nobody will mess with, right? Um, you know, um, they got um, P.J. and all that. I mean, they got a lot of people. But I, I think that when you have – guys like Kevin Durant who was not only won multiple NBA titles he was you know the the um the finals MVP you have a guy like Kyrie where LeBron gets the credit but Kyrie is the guy that hit the game winning shot for Cleveland when they won it you know so I look at these two guys they have that championship pedigree and then the guy that I always talk about that no one like talks about is Joe Harris you know, when you have these guys and you have these defensive guys and you're guarding the big three, then typically Joe Harris is going to get wide-open looks. And then when you try to close out on him, then he's going to dump it down to one of the guys in the big three. And so I just think that they have too much firepower and their defense has improved in the playoffs. So I just think it's going to go seven games. But at the end, Durant's going to hit a game-winning bucket and they're going to go to the to the Eastern Conference Finals. All right, so can we expect lots of content from you in the Inquirer on Pompeii on Sixers and on your Twitter account over the next week, two weeks, maybe even longer? Nah, bruh. 
Uh-uh, I'm slacking this. <laughs> you never slack. <laughs> yeah, that we're not worried about. Keith, always appreciate you giving us a few minutes. Can't wait to see what you got coming uh, as the season, as the series starts. Thanks for the time. All right. Thanks for having me, my man. Jeff, you're going to go down to the game Wednesday, Sunday, Su- or Sunday, Sunday. Which yeah. okay, so you're going to Sunday's game, what which you- again they get hosed with the day game. I was going to ask you what you think about the one o'clock start. So what are the games are Sunday? Uh, well, not many because it's it's all like Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Right. So why are they not? A, in, why are they not a primetime game? What it is? Well, Saturday. I, I, my guess is that. They had prime, their primetime, you know, America's Funniest time. Videos that they wanted to show on the Is lineup. Is that show still on television? I think it's on, like, ABC or something Are you like kidding that. me? So, I, like, I well, don't know. I guess know. if you have young kids, you watch you that You would stuff. think that it would be a, a good matchup. Maybe the Hawks or Sixers aren't that desirable. But Saturday night is the Nets against... Uh, the Bucks, and then Monday night is... How loud is that stadium going to be? If, I was going to ask you that. So, so picture Embiid coming out. You know, he, always, he never comes out with the team. He usually comes out. He's got to make his own entrance. How loud will it be if he comes out in his clothes and goes out and starts warming up? Very. Yeah. <laughs> and with all the fans back, I uh-huh. mean, you know, you've got all these stadiums. It's, it's funny. I was going to talk about it after. We've got JP on the line, so we'll get him on in a second. And I'm going to ask him about it, too. You know, you you thought you missed fans watching the game. Yeah. You realized how much of a different experience it is not seeing fans on, having sound pumped in. And then all of a sudden they let a few fans back in, and it sounds really loud with a few fans back in. And then they let more fans in, and it's even louder. Now you see these games where it's full fans, and it's like, I miss the symphony of the game. Mm-hmm. Like just the, And I'm not talking about the crazy fans throwing popcorn or getting banned for other stuff that's being stupid as fans. I'm yeah. talking about the good in fandom and the way that teams play up through those, that momentum swing in terms of everything. All right. Well, both of us are having a problem speaking today. So why don't we have a guy who is a total artful person in speaking and has apparently way too many jobs. Yeah, JP Delacamera, where do you have find time for all of this work that you have? We'll get to your new endeavor shortly. How are you doing, sir? Sure. Uh, we got you a little bit fuzzy. Maybe you're in a bad cell. I don't know if it's the storms or anything. You're definitely busy, though. But we always appreciate yeah. you find times for us. We're having we're having stormish. I am. Are we all right now? Oh yeah, we're definitely clear now. Thank you. Okay, good, good, good. No, I was saying I have plenty of time to chat with you guys. Well, always. We- Always love getting to talk to you. I want to get to your new endeavor in a minute. Um, I wanted to talk Union to to start the show, though. Um, Union lost their first two league games, focusing on CCL a little bit. They won four or five in MLS since. They've advanced to the semifinals. They've got this little break now, a three-week window. What are you seeing out of this team to start the season and to start the CCL and everything there? Well, I think the focus was in the right place at the right time. Clearly, CCL is a mission for MLS to succeed. We had five teams at one point. Now we're down to one, which is Philadelphia. Um, I wasn't worried after the first couple of games. Remember, one of those was that 0-0 game at Columbus, which I thought was a was a pretty good result. Uh, Blake is in the form that we've seen him in, the goalkeeper of the year form that we saw last year. Uh, I think the back four has been very, very solid. Great contributions from others uh, like Montero, especially uh, Leon Flock. And, and Shadoko is starting to score goals. He was scoring them in Champions League, but now he's scoring them in league play. And, you know, all of a sudden you look at the standings, you know, they're in second place. I, I do think that, you know, sometimes a break is good for a team and sometimes it's not. You could argue that the Union had a lot of momentum 
going into this break, but I think they needed a rest because at one point, Jim had only used 17 players. I don't know if that's still, I think that's not accurate anymore because Paxton Aronson the other day, but uh, they used the lowest number of players in MLS play out of all the teams in the league. So I think some guys could use a break, heavy minutes, and we'll see how they come back. It's not like, it's not like they're off and no one else is off, right? So everyone's in the, in the same boat. I do think they had momentum going into the break, but I think they're better off with a bit of a rest. You know, we, we had a chance to talk to Coach Curtin a couple of weeks ago about the juggling act that he has to do between CONCACAF and MLS and also playing the players he has and developing the young guys and another guy coming in and kind of juggling all of that. You've gotten to watch him evolve and grow as a coach. What have you noticed about Jim that's making him better, it seems like, as the season goes on and as seasons go on as a coach of the union? a good question i think it's the reps you know he's been doing it now for so long you know at one point he was a young coach with potential and and you've seen what he can do from a roster that had limited talent at one point then you've seen him with a roster that had a lot more talent you know more international players you've seen him how to have to juggle so many things but i think it's the maturity and the reps I, i think now he's not just he's still a young coach right but i think right now um, whatever you want to say, top five coaches in the league, he's got to be in that discussion right now. So I think it's been the reps over time that he's gotten, and he's had to do it the hard way too with not as much talent and not as much money to spend as some of these other clubs. And he's done, he's made the most out of what he's had. You know, you mentioned two guys, Andre Blake, Casper Shabilko. Uh, I'll go Andre first. Just how good is he, and how much does it change the way that a team can play when they have someone like him in goal? I I think, myself, it's just opinion, right? We all have opinions. He's the best goalkeeper in the league. Um, others could, you know, make a case for this guy or that guy, but to me, Blake's in that discussion. I think that he gives his team that, that confidence, to know that if they do go forward, if they are taking a risk, that he's back there. And I, I think that what you expect from your goalkeeper is that he gives you a chance to stay in the game, right? Whether it's win the game, get a road draw, you don't want him to lose the game. And I think with, with Andre, they're not worried about him making goalkeeper errors. They know he's going to make the routine save, but he's also going to make the big save that keeps them in the game might be the difference between zero points, one point, or three points. And then with Casper, he, you know, with his goal the other night, he passed Jack McInerney on the list. He's now third in Philadelphia Union regular season scoring. What does yeah. he mean to this team? And it seems like he's now, not along with his goal scoring, a larger leadership role. Yeah, I think he's one of the on-field leaders for sure. I think you know he leads the line, right, with a, with a high press. He's the guy that does it, and everybody else has to follow. I think his work rate is incredible. I think his attention to detail on the field, the defensive work that he puts in, but also, and this was one of the things that I think Jim has done very well this year, he's gotten Casper out of games. I think there was one game, in fact, that he didn't even start him, which broke a a streak for him. But he's been able to take him out of some games, and even if it's the 80th minute, right, you're only saving his legs 10 minutes, but you're also saving – the 10 minutes on his legs from potential fouls, potential bad tackles, uh, you know, 
pulling up, pulling a hamstring, whatever that is. So I think that the fact that Katzberg has been able to play all these minutes has also been a big factor there. And remember, that's another guy that no one ever heard of. No one. No one in this league can say that they heard of him before, except one guy for sure, and that's Ernst Tanner, because he's the guy that, that brought him here. And remember, he didn't even play when he came in late that, that year, whatever it was, three years ago. He came in at the end of the season, trained with the team. And when I asked Jim about him, you know, Jim said, you know, he's not going to play this year, but he's got some potential. You know, he might be able to help us down the road. I don't know if Jim saw what he's seeing now back then. If he did, you know, kudos to him. But Ernst Tanner certainly saw something when he brought him over here. You know, we, I think in the United States, CONCACAF is becoming a bigger deal. Um, we talk about fans all the time and how fans are so good for the game. But the other day, yep. there was an incident. What did you see of that incident and how CONCACAF dealt with it? Tell me first which incident. <laughs> so in, in the Mexico game um, oh. the other night. Against uh, against Costa Rica? Yeah, or against, a, against Costa Rica in stoppage time. They actually stopped the game for three minutes and ejected some fans over some anti-gay chanting. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not aware of that. You know, actually, I've been traveling today, so I didn't get to watch the Mexico game other than I knew that they went to penalties and, and won it and will be playing the U.S. So I'm, I'm listening to you describe it. Um, tell yeah. me first, what what were their options? What, what do you think? So apparently CONCACAF? CONCACAF said that it's their policy to do this. The referee stopped the match for three minutes. That's a part of their anti-discrimination protocol. And I actually think CONCACAF was in the right of what they do. I'm just wondering, you know, this is a larger fan behavior conversation, whether it's discriminatory yeah. chance here um, in right. basketball, you've seen popcorn thrown, people spit on, right. Um, right. fans verbally assaulted. You got thoughts on sort of fan behavior? We, Jeff and I were talking about how yeah. it's fun to have the symphony yeah. come back in terms of the fans. But at the same yeah. time, there's the downside of that overzealous fan behavior. Yeah, I wonder, guys, because we haven't had fans for a while, right? So we forget. Was there bad behavior before? Yes. You know, is there more now? Uh, if there is more bad behavior now, I wonder if it's because of COVID and the frustrations that, that people have had. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I do know this. You know, there's a fine line when you stop a game. Uh, by all means, you know, um, gay chants or racist chants are not to be tolerated. You know, there's zero tolerance for that, right? Uh, somebody throws a bottle on the field, you know, zero tolerance for that i i used to feel bad for you know the fans that got punished because there were times overseas where they wanted to take points away from a team well what if only one person's causing the trouble you know or, or five people out of fifty thousand, you know you're going to dock a team points for it right but you know i think the time has come now where it's it's much bigger than all of this stuff and you know fans and it's a limited number by the way but they have to know that buying a ticket doesn't give them the right to do that stuff. And I don't get it because, you know, you wouldn't go into a department store and trash the place or, or throw something at an employee, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't chant uh, anti, um, you, would, you wouldn't chant anti-gay slurs when you go to your church or, or any other place, right? Uh, you know, racist chants, they're not acceptable anywhere. So why are they acceptable in sports? So if CONCACAF stopped the game for that, um, you know, good on them because we have to figure out a way to, to stop that kind of behavior. It's not fair to 
it's not fair to anybody. It's not right at all. It's bad. You know, back back to the game before we get to your latest and greatest endeavor. Um, CONCACAF is a little bit away now for the next round. If you had to look into your crystal ball, where would you see the union going at this point? Do they have a real chance to win this? Um, yes. In, in a, I think over two legs it's tougher because I think, you know, if it's a one-off, I think anything can happen when you have two very good teams together. Um, I haven't studied, you know, Club America's roster, and, and I don't know if they can make changes before August, but I, I think that, you know, their defense is strong enough that I think that they can stay in games with Club America. So I'm, I'm not really worried about that part of it. But I think this new player, Daniel Bazdog, is going to be a big help to them. I'm assuming he can play in CONCACAF Champions League. I, I must confess, uh, I know in UEFA, you used to have rules about being cup-tied and, and when you could uh, be on a roster and you know, there were freeze dates. I'm not aware of what CONCACAF's policy is on that. So on the assumption that Gazdag could play, I think he'll make a big difference um, in terms of he'd be starting for sure, and that would mean somebody that has been a starter is going to be going to the bench, and that alone would make the team stronger. And I think they might make another move or two before we get to August anyway. So assuming that other players are eligible. I think the team will be at its strongest in August. So yes, they do have a chance, but it's never easy to play club America or any Mexican team in any final. So soccer finally has the foothold that for decades we've been talking about that they were going to have. And it looks like now there's room for more. Why don't you, why don't you tell us about, since you don't have enough to do that you've decided okay. that you got something else that you're going to put on your plate. Yeah. That's kind of a funnier story than, you know, what came out yesterday, right? It said that um, the major arena soccer league was looking at three people to lead them into the future. And one of them was myself as president of communications and media. The other is Shep Messing, who's chairman, and Keith Tozer, who's the commissioner. Ironically, the league advertised uh, in various, on various platforms for a commissioner's job. And Keith was the only one who was interested in, in being a commissioner, but he didn't want to do it on his own. So well, I would have done friends, it. <laughs> well, you should have applied. Uh, and you didn't maybe, send me the application. <laughs> maybe, maybe you would have edged us out. So, but, no, but the, you, you don't have to be concerned, JP. <laughs> okay. The three of us did something, though, that to the best of my knowledge, no one has ever done. You know, three of us applied for that position. We redefined it. You know, it was, it was all three of us. Or none of us, not as a threat, but it was just, you know, we were three together. This was a unique approach. If they just wanted Keith as commissioner, they could have done that. You know, if they just wanted Shep or, or myself, they could have done that. But none of us wanted it without the other two. So, you know, that was it. And we were prepared that they were not going to accept what we were offering. And, you know, turns out that they did. So now we've got a, a vision for where we want this to go. I think the sport itself of indoor soccer is a fantastic one. I, I always thought it was uh, uh, hockey played on grass, if you will, or you know something along those lines because you're using the boards and the, and the plexiglass and the ball seems to always be in play. You've got high scoring, fans are close to the action. You know, it's, it's got everything. 
uh, and especially in this modern world where I think the the younger people are more more interested maybe in a high scoring game or you know up and down action as opposed to a a zero zero game or a one zero game that that the purists can appreciate, but maybe not some of the newer fans to the game. So we think we have a chance to attract some new fans to the game. We also think that you know it's never going to be like it was before, right? Before in the 80s and 90s, we didn't have MLS. There was no real outdoor soccer in this country, and you couldn't watch the Premier League or Serie A or La Liga. Couldn't watch any of these games, right? Now. You have a very successful MLS. You have the USL, NISA, uh, National Women's Soccer League, and other leagues underneath all of those. You can watch any game in the world on your TV, smartphone, laptop, right? So um, it's never going to be like it was. But can it be better than it is now? It, It certainly can. And I think we can attract people that love the game of soccer, that want to go to an event, in November, when MLS is not playing, or you know, late November, uh, November, December, January, and February, we want to try to get some of these outdoor soccer fans converted to indoor fans, while also winning some new fans along the way and increasing the media exposure, which we did yesterday. That's for sure. We got a lot of great coverage on that announcement. You definitely got a lot of great coverage. And look, I used to love going to the Kicks games in here here in Philadelphia. They were so much fun to watch here. Jeff, did yeah. you go to these games? I did. All, all, I got I to gotta make one ask that they do a better job with the turf because you used to go to the kicks games and that would just be pulled it would, up. It would come yeah. up while uh-huh. they were playing. Oh, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, you're somebody who would know that. This is sort of return to your roots. You work with the Pittsburgh yep. Spirits, the St. Louis Steamers. You were their TV voice. Yep. You were the voice yep. for Major Indoor Soccer League, for ESPN's Game of the Week. How special yep. is this for you to kind of come full circle? Now you get to start your own league after good. what yeah, you got to do. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really good in, in the sense that whenever I've done interviews and people have asked me about my career, you know, I always talk about the World Cups, obviously, and um, some of the other achievements that I've had, but I always give credit to the indoor game because that's where I, I cut my teeth. You know, that's where I got a lot of reps. That's where I talked to referees and players and coaches uh, and got all of this stuff done. You know, I'd only done... Uh, the 1986 World Cup, when I, when I started doing the international games, 86 World Cup was, was my first there, right? Other than that, it was mostly indoor soccer. And, and even after that, until I did another World Cup in 1990. So I really cut my teeth in indoor soccer, made friends with some of the greatest people in the sport, including, you know, Shep Messing and Keith Tozer, who I'm working with on this project. And it's good because I've, I've always loved the indoor game and I followed it for years, even when I was out of it. And, and I've watched it go on a downward trend, mostly because, you know, outdoor soccer has become so popular in this country. So I, I think Shep, Keith and I have a, have a goal, have a dream. We just want to, we just want to try to elevate this. Uh, no, no illusions, no, no high hopes or unrealistic hopes. You know, it's not going to be um, 18,000 in the Tacoma Dome or in St. Louis, 18,000 watching a game. It's not going to be that. You know, it's not going to be the MISL Game of the Week exclusively on ESPN. It's not going to be that. But can we get, you know, can we get the average attendance up? Can we get a, 
a better television deal, streaming rights deal than they currently have? Can we make the website better? Can we make their social media better? Can we become more relevant in the cities that we're in and you know, get some new teams that are going to improve the footprint? I think we can do all of those things. Um, we've got a, a three-year mission to try to get it all done. It's not going to be done in a month or two months or even a year, but we do hope we can make progress starting yesterday when we hit the ground running. You know, before we let you go, in all the times that we've talked to you, I don't think we've ever asked this question. When I, when I look at people, some people have jobs and some people have careers. And the difference to me has always been people have a career, people pursue their passion. When did you, you clearly have a career. When did you know you were going to be able to pursue this? And what made you go this route? Wow. High school, my high school yearbook, I said I wanted to be involved in the sports media part of it. But I, I think um, originally I just wanted to be a sports announcer. And I grew up in the Boston area when Oren Esposito, Derek Sanderson, he was my favorite actually back then, uh, when those guys were kings. And at that point, the Boston Bruins were the number one team really in the Boston area. I mean, forget the Red Sox, the Patriots were really nothing in the Celtics. Even though they were winning titles with Bill Russell, they were never that popular. It was all Bruins. So I originally wanted to be an NHL announcer. I ended up getting that part of my dream realized years later. But that was my goal, to be an NHL announcer. And then uh, indoor soccer kind of switched me because I was in the minors for so long with hockey that I thought, you know, I got to do something. I got to elevate myself. I want to get off the buses. I want to fly. I want to be in major markets. I want to be on... Uh, a better radio, a better television station. And that's how the Pittsburgh spirit thing came about. And then one thing led to another after that. And I've been doing mostly soccer since. Well, you've definitely done something. There's no doubt about that. And you continue to do more things, JP. We always appreciate you giving us time when we get to talk to you and look forward to seeing you at the stadium again. Anytime, guys. Can't wait for the fans to come back and uh, can't wait to see and hear a full house at the stadium. It's going to be awesome. Jeff, I, yeah. oh my God, I love talking to these people. It's so much fun. And you, look at you. You brought your A game. Good questions being back in the studio today. Yeah, me, I'm me, so me, proud me, of meanwhile, you. Meanwhile, just, just so you know, while while this A game I was bringing, Jason literally oh, fell back I'm in his chair. I'm banging my and, knee and, on the chair. And, I, ba- yeah, you banged I can't your even knee. talk into the mic. <laughs> Oh, my God. I don't even really have an excuse. No, we're so discombobulated. This is what happens. We're finally being let out. And if you're watching along, there's video of this whole disaster going on right now, too. You knocked over a bottle of water. I did. Thankfully, the cap was on. Let's talk about JP. The the good news for you is we're almost done. The question is whether you'll be able to find your way out of the studio. Drive home safely. (laughs) What what floor is the parking on? We went right from Keith to JP. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, Two obviously different perspectives. Any thoughts on Keith's take on the Sixers and what we heard? JP's take on everything going on in soccer. So the funny thing is, I mean, Keith does the deep dives into the team. But somehow I always feel better afterwards, which is odd because he looks at things with a critical eye. But then he says he'll – because he's there, because he's at practices, he sees things 
And, and I know. So you ha- felt better after he said that he saw Embiid take warmups. Yeah, you you know I, it. I saw it on yeah. your, I saw it on your face the second that he said it. You were like, uh-huh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, because he and I he and I have talked off air, and I just kept saying, "Well, that's it. The season's over." And he's like, "No, you're wrong." And 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 he sees things, and, and you know, I've I've observed him, and I see how he looks at it, and he's not looking at the same things fans are looking at. So you you're a season's over. So you saw Shaq said that if Embiid doesn't play, the Sixers lose in five to the Hawks. Is that where I you think are? Kendrick Perkins said that too? Sha- yeah. Is yeah. that is that where you are with this team that no. they can't win without Embiid? Because I think they Against win the in Hawks? six even without Embiid. I, I think yeah, I do too. I, I I I don't. In fact, I I'd be really surprised if the Hawks win two games if Embiid plays every. Oh, game. I think Trey Young steals a game by himself, and then I think they could try to get a well, second game. So the question is going to be who's going to guard him. Right, because well, that's two, the question. They do really you, have two scores. Do you put Ben on him? Do you put Thibel on him? And look, well, if but Embiid, Thibel's not a starter. I mean, so well, he was the other great... day. Yes, he, he was the other well, night. That's because and Embiid didn't play. So though. again, is that the root? If 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 it's you, yeah. If you're Coach Jeff and you have to make the They'd decision be out in the first round, but... do you? <laughs> they wouldn't even make the playoffs. <laughs> right. Do you put Embiid in for Game One, or do you give him more rest? No, you put it. Well, if he's ready, you put him in. He's it. From everything I've heard, it's not about him being ready. The injury is not going to get better with more rest. But he has it a get worse? T- if he there's the potential playing that it can get worse. But sitting him doesn't mean it's going to get better, and it's going to be a lot about his pain tolerance. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I ask the question: If it's about pain tolerance, when do you want him to get used to it? When do you want them to start putting it on there? Well, no. What you hope can happen is is that they can, in a couple of these games, blow them out. Well, look, and, and, and the Sixers really do have this dual personality where sometimes they can just get ahead and they can blow people out. And other times they just don't step on their throat and just let them back in the game. And then you're sitting there at the end of the game, like gritting your teeth, holding your breath, hoping. And, and I am at the point in my life where I'm very happy with a blowout. I no longer need the close game. I don't need the aggravation. You don't need the anxiety. So, so, so I'm good with that. But the one thing Keith said that I didn't really think about was the way Trey Young plays. And Thibault's strength is players think that they get by him and that's when he, he blocks up on you their afterwards. shot. That's yeah. when he steals the ball is when you think because of his got length that long reach. And, and because he has this anticipation, he plays different than anybody in the NBA. I can't think of anybody who plays defense the way that he plays it. And I think that was one of Brett Brown's big flaws is he never seemed to appreciate that. Like Brett Brown was a guy who said there's something about Matisse's defense that doesn't really jive with me. And I think it was it wasn't traditional defense, and and Doc Rivers seems to have embraced it and said this is the way he plays and it works. Speaking of not traditional, at the beginning of the season you were unsure of Maxi, and you thought my love for Maxie, I was very skeptical. You thought my love for Maxi yeah. was irrational. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like he's won Doc's confidence. Uh, in terms of getting time, especially out of necessity, given the way Shake Milton's well, played at times. Well, I was just going to say, so, so is it that he's gained Doc's confidence more, or is that Shake Milton has shaken the I, confidence of Doc Rivers I more? think Shake Milton's struggles have given Maxie the opportunity to show he can produce and look completely unfazed in the highest pressure scenarios. And I don't know if that's, you know, if you look at 
the guys that played at Kentucky, maybe that's a Kentucky thing. I know you're not a Coach Calipari fan, but no. um, you know, in terms of that, I, I don't know what it is, but he has no fear of being in that moment mm-hmm. at all. Well, it didn't work for New Orleans with Noel when he was here. So well, You have to have more talent, too. Jeff, <laughs> why don't we hit the break when we come back? We'll figure out what else we're going to talk about in the sports world. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, it's funny. Uh, you told me to stop swaying back and forth in my mm-hmm. chair. I like, don't even know what to do with myself now. Yeah, that you're I'm all back fidgety. I am. I'm all over the place. Yeah. I want to close out the show on a not happy topic: the Phillies. <laughs> We're closing out the show already. Well, we've only got like eight more minutes, and if we actually talk about the Phillies a little bit. You tell me that well, I don't give things ta- to You already Brady. talked about how excited you were about the tonight's pitching matchup. I am, and that's probably the only thing that excites and, me about and, this and team And look right what will happen. You see the thunderstorms right out our window. So now the question is, is, will it hold off for this game? Or worse, will the game get started and then rain come back? And then we won't have the pitching matchup exactly. that we wanted. Right. Look, they've lost 11 of their last 17. They're 26 and 29 heading into this series. Uh, the Nationals are 23 and 29. Injuries are a huge problem. They've averaged just four runs in the 37 games in when Didi, Bryce, JT, and Gene Segura don't play. And they've only appeared in 18 games well, together Well, they did have one really good game. The 17-run game? None of them <laughs> played in that game either. Uh, I don't know. The bullpen was my biggest concern. Yeah. The defense is. is now the biggest concern that I have on this team. Well, isn't that a con- doesn't that work hand-in-hand? If the defense no, was better, so, the sometimes, bullpen would be better. Sometimes the bullpen does their job, and the yeah. bullpen lets them down, like not knowing where a cutoff man is, or throwing to the wrong base, or falling down in the outfield and not chasing but after that's the my, ball. That's my point, is that it goes hand in hand. So even if the bullpen does well, if there's no defense behind them, then the bullpen just does worse. I don't know what the cause of this is, if it's the defense or what. The bullpen has the fourth most blown saves in Major League Baseball this year. Well, look, that's not a good bullpen anyway. It doesn't matter whether you have a great no, defense look, behind you. It's it not is a not good, a good bullpen. It's not a good pitching staff. If you look at the ERAs, mm-hmm. nearly half of the pitchers on the roster, I'm not just talking bullpen. You, you throw in you know, Anderson and, and those guys, nearly half of those guys have an ERA over five. And if you look in the bullpen, the majority of the arms that they go to have an ERA of seven. If I never see Hale in a game, it's too soon. I'm teaching See, my I say, son. I say the same thing about Coonrod. I'm teaching my son about baseball, and because it's the Phillies, he yeah. thinks they go to the bullpen in like the second inning. We're watching the game, and he goes, "When are they going to the bullpen, Daddy?" And it's like, it's the Phillies, but not that early, man. And Nola's not having a great season. If you didn't have Zach Wheeler on this team, this would be a disaster. <laughs> it would and, and so uh, you and I have been texting over the last few de- few days about this. About okay, as we get closer to to the trade deadline, is. F- is this already are we time a buyer or are we seller? And if you're selling, and, and how big a seller are you? Who, does like the Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola become like, guys on the block? Is this like a yard sale or is it like a legit? We're going to sell our pieces because if it's me, there's six pieces that I want from the Phillies, and a bunch of them aren't movable. 
I'm asking about Nola. I'm asking about Wheeler. I'm asking about Reese. I'm asking about Harper. I care about Real Muto. And I think the sixth is maybe Eflin on there. That's it. Who else on this team do you want? You want Didi Gregorius, who, you know, they can't figure out what's up with his elbow? You want Scott Kingery, who they can't figure def- out. A, and his defense has been terrible. You know, so. maybe Odubel Herrera because of how he's hitting the ball. Here, here's what, if I were the Phillies, this would be my only strategy for this season. Call the Angels and ask the Angels, what do you want for my other, other than your, other than our, other than Harper and Real Muto? What do you want on our team? Jeff, we've been doing this show for multiple years. The yeah. Heart of Sports has been on the air six years, sort of this month, going yeah. into seven years. You've been asking that question since we started. Well, no, but but here, but even if the Phillies are not good, there will be people at the ballpark. If you have Harper and Trout in the corner outfield, but you won't well. be able to and, afford the popcorn vendor after that. Yeah, but guess what? Mike Trout won't care. But Mike Trout <laughs> will be home, and he won't. If he's not winning, I'm sure he'd rather be here than there. Because I don't get the California Angels spend money, and it never works. Well, and then they sent Pujols away, and now he's hitting homers for the right, Dodgers. Exactly. I, the one well, area all they have is Otani and. Uh, the, the one area I really don't understand about this team that could be a bright spot, they're the best team in Major League Baseball in terms of stolen base percentage. They've been caught just three times. Yeah, but Roman Quinn's gotten hurt it, since it, it hasn't been Quinn who had a lot of the steals, actually. They've, they've got 11 different players have stolen at least one base, yet they're tied for fifth in the majors in stolen bases. If you're a team that can't generate runs and can't hit, when you get a guy on base, you got to put a little pressure on they, I get your analytics. You don't want that stat to go down. Hmm. But if nine out of every ten times you steal, you make it, you need to do that more. No, that's not really how it works. Yes, you no, do. No, it doesn't. You because, need to put pressure picking, on them. They're picking the spots that where people aren't looking. Great, so find more. There's definitely there more, more in a game. First of all, they're not getting on base, and you can't steal well, that's bases. that's the larger it, problem. Okay, so you want them to do something that they're not eligible to do because they're in the dugout. No, they do They do better times on base. But I do think there's more opportunity. Look, you. how many times do we see the bases loaded and they leave the bases loaded, Jeff, with this team? Uh, I, I don't see the Phillies with the bases <laughs> that, loaded that, was that the often. Be, that was the best part of it. So the other night I'm texting you about the game, and I'm going, this happened, this happened, this time happened, and you're going, oh, I don't know, I turned it off. Yeah. <laughs> like the best move that you could have made. No, if I, if I see Hale, if I see Coonrod, there, there, there are names that cause my remote to turn the television on. <sighs> it is a smart remote. It knows. Jeff is going to get aggravated. Just turn off the TV. It drives me insane. We've got like two minutes left. Uh, a little throwback here before we're done. The UFCFL is returning, Jeff. Oh. Are you going to get tickets? They still have. Uh, well, I used to go to Generals games. They still have. Uh, they'll have a minimum of eight We've teams. We've had players from the USFL on we this show. We have. Yeah. And, and they're going to have original team names like the New Jersey Generals, the Philadelphia Baltimore so, Stars. So th- well, so which is it? Are we, are, the, are we getting back the Stars or is Baltimore getting the Stars? I'm not really sure. Because quite frankly, at this point. They might actually get a lot of fans because the Eagles are going to stink for a few years now, right? So <laughs> you might as well get a ma- get some football you're team just here. Just Mr. Happy and Confident. So the interesting thing to me is Fox Sports is the <laughs> that might make me happy. Fox Sports is the broadcast partner. Yeah, 
But this is another le- new league launching supposedly at the same time as Dwayne Johnson is going to launch the XFL. Right. Are there really that many football players of talent to play in all these leagues? No, there aren't that many in the NFL. I know there are schmucks like me who will turn on the TV yeah. and watch this bad football. But are there enough players to actually play here? I guess they need an, as many places as possible that Johnny Manziel can play. <laughs> Oh That's god. really all it is. <laughs> I mean, what? Oh my god. Jeff, final thoughts in the last minute. We got about 30 seconds till we have to be off the air, other than how much fun it has been for you to sit across from me and watch me screw everything up today. Uh, I don't know. What, what do you want? Do, do you want me to cry over Mike Shashevsky? I know how upset uh-uh. you are that he's leaving and you'll be camping out for his last game. I can't wait to see how much tickets cost for that last game of his. So I was up in Boston this week, yes. and they were. I was with were somebody who, whose grandson begged them for his birthday to get tickets to the Patriots-Buccaneers game. Cost? Thousands. I have no doubt. It might be the most expensive ticket ever for a regular season. We'll game. talk about expensive tickets, including the Sixers playoffs, when we come on next week. Thanks so much for joining this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week.